Welcome to a special episode of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the world of education. Now, last episode I interviewed Andrew Blair about running inquiries. There's been a fantastic reaction to the interview and I'm so pleased to see that it has given other people plenty to think about and not just myself. Indeed, I'm not sure my head has quite finished spinning. If all goes to plan, next episode I'll be recording part two of my interview with Chris Bolton and I want to discuss directly the points Andrew made about outcomes, fluency and purpose. So, in preparation for that, I thought it'd be a good idea to release my first interview with Andrew Blair that I recorded back in 2014 when I used to host the Tez Maths podcast. Here, Andrew describes in detail a far more open-ended, less structured inquiry than the one he talked about with me last episode. It's absolutely fascinating to listen how you plan and deliver a lesson that, quite literally, could go in any direction, and that direction is determined 100% by the students themselves. And as a bonus, if that wasn't enough, Andrew also shares his invaluable experiences and advice on being a head of department. I hope you agree with me that this is a superb listen. No takeaway from me this time, so I won't see you on the other side, but I will see you soon. And I really hope you enjoy the journey back to 2014. It was a time when I could actually sleep at night, unconsumed as I was with concerns about working memory, cognitive load and desirable difficulties. It was also a time when I used to record these podcasts in a professional studio, had different intro music, an alluring female voice to introduce me, and considered interviews over an hour rather excessive. How times have changed. Enjoy. Welcome to the TES Maths Podcast, hosted by Craig Barton. Welcome to episode nine of the TES Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Here once again with your monthly serving of mathematical news, ideas, resources and discussion. Following last episode's gallivanting around the primary schools of the Northwest, today I find myself back in our London studio where I am delighted to say I am joined by a very special guest. Andrew Blair may be a name that is unfamiliar to many listeners, but hopefully we can change that by the end of the episode. Andrew is Head of Department at Vardine School in Brighton. He's been Head of Department in two different schools, covering a span of 12 years. His website, Inquiry Maths, contains some wonderful, rich lesson ideas that can stretch and challenge students and enable them to be creative in their mathematics, as my very own students found out earlier this week. So, a big hello to Andrew and thanks so much for joining us today. Hello Craig, thank you for inviting me. And a massive thank you to Andrew's school for allowing him to take part in the show. As usual, links to everything we discussed today can be found on our dedicated podcast page. That is www.tes.co.uk forward slash maths podcast. And in a brand new exciting feature, you will also find a link to a blog post where you can comment on the issues raised in this episode. And just to remind you that if you're not already following at TES Maths on Twitter, then what on earth are you playing at? Because you're missing out on a world of daily resources and ideas. But enough of all that, let's get the show started. So for the first part of the show, I want to talk about Andrew's website, Inquiry Maths. Now, I must confess that this was a brand new website to me, and I found out about it, of all places, in Bangkok in Shrewsbury International School. So... Andrew, for listeners who've never been to your website and never heard of these inquiries, could you start by just giving us a general feel of what an inquiry is and what does it involve? Okay, Craig. Uh, inquiry is a, is a broad umbrella, broad umbrella term, uh, and there are many sorts of inquiries. Um, the, inqu- the kind of inquiries that I run, inqu- inquiry maths, uh, have three main features. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want the activity to develop from students' questions. So I expect them to comment or ask a question about a prompt that I give them. A prompt might be a statement, uh, an equation or a diagram. So the activity that develops through the lesson 
comes from their questions. That's the first main feature. The second one is I uh, require or would like students to regulate their learning. Um, and that means that I invite them to structure the lesson. So I don't go in with any pre-planned three-part lesson or any part lesson. Uh, <laughs> and I would expect them to decide how they're going to learn, what, what they're going to learn even, at the, at the most open kind of level of inquiry, uh, and how they're going to learn it. Um, and I use cards to help them decide on the, on the direction of the lesson. And the third um, main feature of the lesson is that uh, learning is not pre-programmed in a way. Okay. There's no uh, outcome that I have in mind. It's not discovery learning where I expect them to discover something that I already know. Okay. Uh, so ev every prompt will be related to the curriculum. Every, every kind of prompt is valid in terms of the, the math curriculum in this country. Uh, and they will take that prompt in, in the, the students will take that prompt in different directions. Um, so, I mean, why I like inquiry learning is students are not only learning math concepts and skills, they're also learning how to learn those concepts and skills. So there's a, there's a double learning going on in a way. Well, you've hooked me in here. So Excellent. I think the best <laughs> thing to do is, could you perhaps describe an inquiry that you've run recently? And we'll go through it kind of almost minute by minute in the lesson, what you're doing, what the students are doing, if that's all right. Okay, okay. Well, I've been doing one, well, I'm halfway through one at the moment, in fact, with a year 10 class. And could you, just for the context, this year 10, what kind of ability range? Okay, well, this, this is a top set. I have done inquiries with all different levels, uh, all different sets, and we can talk about some of that later, Super. perhaps. And I've, I've uh, taught uh, all ability class as well, inquiries. Um, but this is a top set, there are 33 in the class. Uh, and I put a statement on the board and ask them to pose some questions and, and make some statements about my statement. All right, and what's, this, what's the statement? Okay, the one I used this week with them is, uh, the difference, sum and product of two numbers are the first three terms of a sequence. All right, one more time. Okay, uh, the difference, sum and product of two numbers are the first three terms of a sequence. And that's it. That's it. That's on the board. That's it. That's it. I, ran, I, I would say I ran this inquiry uh, in an open way. Right. So there are different levels of openness uh, and different levels of how much I might structure an inquiry. But this particular one, because we've done inquiries before, uh, I left it, uh, I, you know, deliberately wanted to run it in an open way. Okay. So yeah. the kids are sat there. This is on the board. Yes. What do they do? Now? Well, they have five minutes, say, uh, to jot down some ideas, some questions. Some of them use the time to explore. Uh, and then they fed back what, what the questions that they'd written down or, the st or what they'd noticed or the statements they wanted to make. And are they sat in groups or on their own? Well, in this particular classroom, uh, I don't have my own classroom, uh, <laughs> there are, they're in tables of four. Okay, yeah. all right. And could you give, an, as an, oh, sorry, give us an example of some of the kind of questions that the students might come up with? Uh, okay, so in, in this case, uh, a, a lot of questions were about, is it true? Does it work? Uh, there was one claim that it always worked, uh, there was another claim that it sometimes worked, and we, we kind of skirted around those, those claims. We didn't go into detail at this stage in, into, the, into that. Um, uh, another student asked if different sum and product had to be in that order, right. and a further pair then said, well, if it's not in that order, if it's, if it's difference product sum, yeah. it would work with one and two. Um, what, the difference one the product, product two, two and the sum three. So, so, it would, so we, we decided that was a bit too easy. Uh, we, we've left that to inquire into later. The right. Reordering different sum and product. So you're limiting. The so we're, li we're limiting as we go. And, and, and this is a negotiation with the class in a way. Uh, another student said, well, I've tried five and 10 and came up with a difference five, uh, sum 10 and product 50. Yeah. Uh, and we got into a discussion, brief discussion about whether that actually was a sequence. Could, yeah. it, could it be turned into a sequence? And we decided that we would work initially in the inquiry with linear sequences linear. only. Okay. Yeah. Um, could you just give me an example of one that the students found that, that worked, that, that fit into a linear sequence? What numbers? Okay, well, two, two students at this stage came up independently with two and six. So the difference is four, the sum is eight, and the product's 12. Perfect. Okay. Uh, now, this, uh, it, it transpired, actually. What happened then is we got some... We, 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 it transpired that a lot of students had explored, and they didn't declare that immediately. Right. So when this came out, um, I then was able to list uh, a number of different attempts to make this work, 
uh, and we got three or four examples that did work. Yep. Uh, and then we started to conjecture about what pairs of, of numbers did work, did lead into the first three terms, or did give the first three terms of a linear sequence. I see. So we're how far into the lesson are we at this uh, stage? Probably about 20 minutes. About 20 minutes. Yes. And is this, you're at the board now, I assume, you've listed yes. these numbers down. Yes. And then, so the, the students are hooked in, they've found some numbers that work, some numbers that don't work. And where, where does the lesson go from well, there? Um, just on hooked in. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think that's a very good phrase. Uh, and inquiries have to be set to hook students in, yes. to pique their curiosity, yeah, I suppose. Sure. They have to be set just above the current understanding of the class. Okay. So they, they recognise parts of it. They might not recognise the whole or understand the whole of it. They might need an orientation phase to try and work out exactly what, what, what it's saying. Um, but it, you know, it's very, it's a very skilled job, I suppose, to set these, set these prompts at exactly the right level, where students are not intimidated, not turned off, uh, and feel confident enough to raise questions and make comments. Um, uh, what was your question, Craig? <laughs> so, I got lost there. I got, I got, I got sidetracked there. No, Sorry. you're right. You were hooked in. Yeah, I was hooked <laughs> in. Exactly. So we're at, we're at the stage of the lesson now where we found things that work and things that don't right, work. Right. Right. And then where does the lesson go okay, from there? Okay. Well, well, at that point, um, what I what I've uh, found in my early work with inquiries is that students just want to explore. Right. Uh, if they can see something that works, they want to make it work more, <laughs> or they want more ways of making it work. Uh, and a part of inquiry maths, a very important part of inquiry maths, is, is saying stop, reflect on what's happening, decide where we're going, uh, decide what the problem is perhaps, let's work out how the rest of the lesson is going to pan out. Uh, and initially I would, say, I would say to students, what shall we do now? Right. And I was, in, my, in, the, in the early work, I was often met with blank expressions <laughs> yeah, of, of, of incomprehension. Yeah, of course. Because they, well, not, not only have they never been asked to ask questions, mm. they've rarely been, well, they've never been asked to structure a lesson. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I was met, it was, I was met in, my early, in the early days with total incomprehension. Uh, and now I support that phase with a set of cards. Or, and students can select a card, um, or pairs of students can select one in a more advanced class, they might actually select a series of cards and say we're going to do this, this and this. Uh, and then we decide from the cards they've selected how the rest of the lesson will go. And does it matter if one set of students wants to take it one way and another wants to take it another way? Is that okay or do we all have to kind of go in the same direction from this point? Uh, that's a very interesting question and that is where the skill of the inquiry teacher com comes in because it, it, you know, the, the, the final arbiter is the teacher uh, and the teacher will decide based on, on the selections that students have made what is the best way forward. So if, stu if students are saying you know, we want to work in groups and we want to work on this uh, normally I would say fine. If you've, if you've defined an area you're going to work in uh, and you've defined it mathematically and it's valid and you know how you're going to work, off you go. And maybe that the class will split into different groups and, and, and explore different parts of the inquiry that they've, you know, or the different, different questions that they've identified at the start. Um, other times uh, it might be more sequential, so someone says we need, or I don't know, maybe a third of the class say we need instruction. We don't know how to add fractions in one particular inquiry on the website. We don't know how to add fractions. So I will either ask students if they've got the knowledge and someone will yeah. come and instruct the students, or I will instruct the students because we need uh, an understanding of how, how, to, how to do that. Um, and then, in terms of it being sequential, then I might say, okay, now we're going to do that, now we're going to do that, and, and then we're going to do that. Could you just give us an example of what might be on one of these prompt cards for this particular for this particular sequence? Based okay, lesson? well, in, in the one in year ten, a lot of students um, wanted to work as a group. Right. So the, some of the cards actually say uh, are more about how we're going to work. Mm. Are we going to work individually? Mm. Are we going to work as a group? Uh, some are about um, the mathematical approach we're going to take. Are we going to explore? Are we going to try and prove something? Um, are we going to do calculations? So there's ones like that. Some are about, in, 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 interesting, there's one, um, I want to do a worksheet. Right, I want to, okay. I want to, I want out of this inquiry. Right. It's too free form. And actually today, I just want to do 20 questions, please. Okay, and so that's okay. That's a totally legitimate request from a student. Uh, I will learn best today with, with what you've, you know, with, with what we're doing. 
I will learn best in this form. But it's still related to the yes, to the, yes. So it'll be a yes. sequence based. Exactly. So so the inquiry yeah. teacher, you know, some some teachers say to me, just want you just want an easy life. You yeah. just want to prepare <laughs> a statement and, and leave yeah. it at that and get a few cards together. But actually, I I have to think the inquiry teacher has to think what are the different paths that could open up from this starting point. Um, and how will I resource each of those paths if they do open up uh, and I, I get requests like I need to, I would like to use a worksheet or at a certain point in the inquiry I might want to close it down as the inquiry teacher and I might need to resource that moment when I say hold on right okay you know we're not making much progress we need a focused session on adding fractions going back to that uh, here's 10 questions. So I need, to, I need to think about the different pathways that could develop and resource those. Okay. Mm. Now, so it's not, it's not an easy life I, break. No, I can, I can imagine. I can, now, for, for the record, I, I, love, I love this. I love, I love, I'm a great believer in giving students ownership over their learning mm -hmm. and giving students the choice to take their lesson where they want and take their learning where they want. And I think that if you give students that choice and that responsibility, more often than not, they, they rise to it. Mm. And you're going to get students who, who see it as an opportunity to kind of mess around or whatever and be off task. But I think the majority of students will, will rise to this. Having said that, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Well, uh, can, I, can I just oh, say... Of course, yeah. Can I just say, I, I find my classes, uh, I find the discipline and inquiry lesson better. Maybe not initially. Yes. Maybe there's a, there's a teething problems from the teacher's side and the student's side. You know, what's this all about, folks? Um, but after a time, the levels of motivation rise so significantly because students are answering their own questions. That is so empowering yeah. for a student. Right. So if I play devil's advocate yeah. a bit here. Yes. So the first thing that, that's, that's springing to mind is imagine I'm, um, imagine I'm an NQT or, yeah. or a teacher that's coming up and I'm about to be watched by my head of department yes. or, or a fellow teacher or someone from the authority who's judging my NQT, whether yes. I'm going to pass or fail. Yes. And I think, right, I'm loving the sound of this. I'm going to yeah. do one of these inquiry lessons. Yes. What on earth am I putting on my lesson plan? Am I just putting, I'm going to ask a statement and see where the lesson goes? Because I certainly can't say in the first 10 minutes we're going to do this, then in the next 10 minutes we're going to be working on this, because by definition I don't know, I, if we do it as open as this is, yes. I don't know where the lesson's going to go. Yes. So what, in terms of a lesson plan, what, what are we looking at here? Um, well, I would say that I've, I've uh, done an interview lesson teaching inquiry, not, not very open, yes. but, but you know, significantly open. To a group of students who'd never done it. That I've never even seen. Right. Uh, so, so I've done that. I know uh, PGC students that I've run workshops for who have gone on to, to use my ideas or the inquiry ideas and, and get jobs through it. Uh, so I think there is an appetite uh, in the educational community, the maths educational community, for, for this type of learning and this approach. I would also say, it, it, you know, the Ofsted outstanding criteria says nurturing mathematical independence. Yeah. And while we're on this point, I know this is nothing to do with what you asked. Let's do it. But while we're on this point, uh, the draft uh, program of study for Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4, one of the three aims, it explicitly says, reason mathematically by following a line of inquiry. So I think inquiry, the t its time has it come, is. perhaps. We could I just do so. a little hyperlink to your website <laughs> yeah. after that. Uh, yeah, in a draft <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get hold of the Department of Education <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, so what would I say to an NQT? Um, what I would say to an NQT or an inexperienced teacher, I would say don't um, run it in an open way. Close it down. Maybe just put the prompt on the board and, and ask for statements and questions. Get one or two uh, from the class, which you can return to in the plenary, and, and run a, a normal lesson after that, whatever you, you know, consider a normal lesson. Uh, in terms of the lesson plan, well, my lesson plan would, and my lesson plan did, have the prompt. It had the expected kind of questions that might develop from that because each prompt is linked to the national curriculum. So I, I know the pathways that can develop from it. Um, and then I might show, you know, the two or three main pathways, how, I'd re how I've resourced them uh, and how I would expect or the kind of activities I would expect to do around those pathways. I find that top sets who have had success you know, you, in the traditional way of yes. answering 20 questions successfully, <laughs> putting their hand up when the teacher asks a question and getting it right, it, 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 well, to, use, to be colloquial, it completely freaks them out, this kind of learning, because they've never been, they've, they've never been expected to, to think about how the lesson will be structured or even ask a, a question of their own, perhaps. Uh, and so top sets get more concerned and more anxious 
uh, about inquiries than, than any other group of students, I think, in, in secondary schools. Well, uh, if I can just pick you up oh on yeah. that, then. Well, if that's I don't think I've oh the first no, question. no, no, okay, you, another one. <laughs> but if, that, if that's the case, and yeah. I'm, I'm again playing devil's advocate, yes. should top sets be doing stuff like that then? Because well, well, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when when they get to university, I mean, universities complain that students haven't got the the metacognitive skills to plan their learning, to direct their learning, to learn independently. Uh, and it's precisely those students who, you know, at the university that, that need those skills. <laughs> what, what I find is that inquiries, uh, there's an orientation phase. There's a, there's a slow phase uh, that sometimes teachers get anxious about because if, if, if someone came in at that point, you know, maybe the pace is slow. There's, there's sure. legitimate learning going on and there's, there's debate and there's questions. All the things Ofsted want to see, I would say. But in terms of learning, in that initial phase, sometimes it might seem slow, sure. and, 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 and an observer might pick you up on pace. Yes, yes. Um, But what I find is that inquiries accelerate very fast uh, after that initial phase, and students are extremely motivated uh, at learning or, or at, at trying to answer their own questions, at trying to deal with their own comments. Uh, and that, that, those high levels of motivation lead to much deeper and more effective learning in the longer term. So I, I think there isn't, you know, even after 10 years of teaching inquiries, I, I, you know, I'm not concerned now because I know there's an initial phase when we are orientating ourselves towards the prompt and deciding on how we're going to structure the lesson. And that does, you know, that does take time. Now, right, well, let, let, let's say this. You see, you're asking students to take responsibility for their own learning and come up with their own questions yes. for, for inquiries. Yes. Now, you mentioned before that you've done this with, with all ages and, and, and all abilities. Yes. And I think I'm right in saying you also mentioned that in year seven and eight, yours are taught in mixed mixed ability yes. groups. Yes. Now, if I just re reference, I'm a big fan, and um, I don't know if you are, of, of Joe Bowler and her book, mm -hmm. The Elef Elephant in the Classroom. Mm -hmm. And I've often been a big fan of, of mixed ability teaching. And mm -hmm. I know a lot, of, a lot of math teachers kind of shy away from it because it's a scary prospect. Mm. But I would imagine an inquiry lesson like this lends itself very nicely to mixed ability uh, groups because yes. you will have everybody kind of rising up to the level because you'll have some students who kind of grasp it, who can ask the really kind of thought-provoking questions, mm -hmm. and other students in the group who perhaps are, are, are lower ability will kind of will, will learn from that and kind of rise up. And I imagine that would be a, a kind of really beautiful thing to see. Yes. But counter to that, can this really work on a setted year seven and eight middle set, low set? Well, I, I, I think, you know, I've done it with all sorts of classes, setted classes, 7 to 11, uh, um, mixed ability in 7 and 8. And, and you know, I, 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 I suppose I, I prefer, philosophically, I prefer all ability classes, yes. and I think it works effectively there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I know it works in all, all situations with all, all different sorts of classes. So, I, I you know, in a way, as I said earlier, I, I find the higher sets later on in, in, in years 10 and 11 who are more, not necessarily resistant, more anxious that suddenly th th their learning, their style of learning that they've been successful in is taken away from them. And they're actually being asked to, to consider uh, a whole new series of qu questions that they've never been asked to consider mm -hmm. before. And again, it's that thing that we've mentioned before, isn't it? That if you empower students like that, and if you have high expectations for them, they do tend to rise up. To yes, that, I mean, they? I mean, people say to me, "How how do you how do you deal with this with a bottom set?" I mean, you can't use this 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 open approach with a bottom set. And 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 and, and I would say, well, I'm not I'm not suggesting that you do not not initially anyway. Yeah. You know, you, you might it, the first attempt to do this, you might offer the prompt. You might get one question. You might get one statement. It's very important how you deal with that statement. You know, I, I, would, I would immediately, if it was a question, say, what does that mean? I would immediately write that on the board. I would put the name next to it. I would return to it later in the lesson. I would promote that question as, as a central part of the lesson. Uh, and it's the way the teacher deals with the responses that they get that, you know, makes this successful in the end. Uh, and the teacher has to, has to promote that process. There, there, is, there are ways. There's a book called The Art of uh, Posing Problems, I think which has a structured way to encourage students to ask questions or to, to, to a process by which they can ask their own questions because most students, probably many, many, if not all, have never been asked to you know, respond in this way no. and to set their own questions and make their own statements, make conjectures in the class, in the classroom in such an open forum anyway. 
Um, and so there, there are ways, and they're documented on the website, there are ways to uh, encourage students and, and help them ask those kind of questions and get to get started. But with a low ability class, you know, you ask a question, right, thank you, we'll close it down now, and here's uh, the activity that we're going to do now, uh, and let's return to it later in the plenary. Let's return to their question later in the plenary. Still the name. Uh, and what I've, what I've also done in the past is, you know, then, then we've got the answer to, the, to that. So I would type out the, the question, the name next to it, the answer, we will stick it in our books. That is nice. whoever's question. And that, so that really That's kind of, nice. that really encourages that process, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, as a head of department, yes. you, you I'm sure you fully appreciate the need to get data down to whether it's levels and demonstrate progress and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So how am I demonstrating progress? So if Ofsted or my line manager comes in and looks on the mark sheet for year eight, what, what were they doing for that two weeks? Oh, they were doing an inquiry. Well, right. where, where's it shown? Well, did they, can you assign levels to this? Yes. How, how, yes. Do you, how do you mark them? How do you show progress? Well, okay, so there's, there's, there's different ways to assess uh, students during an inquiry, and, and that's, all, again, documented on the website. Um, so one way might be to take in the portfolio of work that they've done, the ideas that they've got, uh, and I would assign that a level depending on the mathematical skills and concepts that are shown there. Uh, and the work that I get back is, is very, very personalised and very, very different one from the other. Uh, and so I can be even more confident in a way yeah. of, 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 of the level or the grade that I'm assigning uh, because the work has been created by them. It's not five answers, ten answers to, to an exercise. Um, interestingly, in the um, phase when they are deciding what to do and the cards they choose, that's, that's often you know, a, 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 a sign of their mathematical thinking. So if they choose the, the card, I always look for this one, if they choose the card, decide what the problem is, I think that that student is thinking mathematically. That's exactly. where we need to start. Uh, and that's a good sign to me. If they choose the card, I want to work in a group, you know, that, that might be a sign that they're a bit anxious about it and they need some support. Uh, so even at that stage, I'm assessing all the time. I'm assessing, assessing by the um, the questions they ask, the statements they make. Um, I'm assessing the presentations at the end. So I might not ask every group to present at the end, but I would uh, expect some students to cut to to present the work uh, or the progress that they've made at the end of a lesson or the end of the inquiry. So I've got there are multiple ways I can assess. You've convinced me on, oh, you've convinced me on assessment. <laughs> excellent. The data's all there, sir. <laughs> a couple more and I'm sold on this. I all think, right, so. all right. Oh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep going. <laughs> um, I know, obviously, you're going to be naturally biased on this, but yeah. do students enjoy these lessons? Uh, I, well, the feedback that I get from them is, is, is very positive. The feedback I get from them is very positive. I'm, I'm conscious sometimes um, if they're not hooked in initially there might be pockets that are not hooked mm. in uh, and there are pockets that, that of, of students in the room that might not be um, able to structure their learning or able yeah. to find a way forward and I'm constantly on, on the alert for students who you know have lost their way uh, and if that's uh, well like in any teaching if that's a significant number we, we, we come back together and, and, and we look at the cards again uh, and we have another discussion and we might ask some more questions to direct us in our progress. Uh, so, I mean, I'm asking, you know, this form of teaching is asking a, a, a great deal of students. It's asking them to learn maths and learn how to learn maths. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's very, very hard initially. I'd say it's also asking a great deal of the teacher. It's a scary prospect, isn't it, if you've never done one of these lessons before, especially because if you don't know where it, the lesson's going to go. And I, I watch, I'm very fortunate that I get to watch a lot of teachers teach. Mm. And I, kn I know myself that it's the most comfortable place a teacher can be is at the front with 30 eyes looking at you in mm. silence whilst you explain a concept. Ah, ah yeah, but if, you, if you're doing that in an inquiry lesson, there's not going to be any off-task behaviour. Well, there's less off-task behaviour. There's not going to be anybody chatting at the back or there's not going to be people looking out the window because actually they've asked for it. Yes. They have requested that I instruct them in, in, in a certain technique, a method, whatever, uh, because they've recognised that they can't make progress without that instruction That's and nice. without that concept or skill that I'm talking about. Uh, even more so, obviously, if, it, if it's a student who's doing that at the front. Uh, so I've, I feel those moments are more successful in an inquiry lesson because it's come from the students. 
that again. I'm pretty much. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Final question then on this. Okay. How often are we, we doing these lessons then? I mean, we're not inquiring every lesson, are we? Uh, well, I think you could. I think you could okay. because, because, you know, students will ask for different forms of learning. So they will, you know, different ways uh, to, to take inquiries forward. So I think that, you, you know, you will get, a, well, we do in inquiries, we get different, lots of different styles of learning and teaching going on. So they do get a, a, you know, a variety of, of things happening. You know, they might ask for a worksheet or an activity mm. that I, I've, I'm, I might have prepared before or I might prepare for the next lesson. Um, so I, uh, but at the moment I'm doing, I probably do about two with every class, uh, half term and an inquiry might last, there's a ratio inquiry in, on the website that might last an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, the one, the one that I'm in, into with the attend at the moment, <laughs> I mean, we could be running to the end of the year with this cause I'm so excited by the, the start, the start that we made. Uh, obviously it won't run to the end of the year, but, but, um, you know, that, you know, it can open up at the end of that particular the first phase of that lesson, we had three different approaches. We had graphical, numerical, and algebraic. And, and the next lesson, we're going to start with the three different approaches and see how they relate to each other. That's so we've, we've represented you know, the maths in different ways. Uh, yeah, and there's a vid interestingly, there's a video on my website. Boom, boom. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's plug, plug that in. Not, what if it's the last question? <laughs> <laughs> I'll raise it again. Uh, there's a video on my website which, which actually talks through this lesson. If you want to comment on um, how you've got on running an inquiry, do so on this on this new blog page, and hopefully Andrew may even visit there from time to time and, and share a few thoughts as well. For our second topic today, we're going to talk about the role of head of department. Andrew has been a head of department for 12 years and has mentored heads of department in his local authority. And for my part, I have sworn I will never ever go for a head of department job for all the money in the world. So let me start by asking you, Andrew, why did you want to become a head of department? Uh, okay, Craig. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was going to say I wonder why myself. But, um, that's not true because I, I, I love it. I love, mm. I love the position. Uh, I think middle management in a school, or middle leadership, I should say, is, is a very, very interesting role. Uh, I think the most interesting role in a school. So, so actually, the question I ask myself at the moment is why do I resist? Why am I resisting going into senior leadership? Right. Uh, why I became a head of department in the first place, uh, I had some ideas about teaching uh, and learning. Um, it was 2001. Uh, my ideas about teaching and learning um, were in contrast or against uh, the National Numeracy Strategy. Uh, and I wanted to influence, I suppose, in a very small way, obviously a department, uh, in, with the ideas that I had about teaching. Inquiry maths was nowhere on the horizon. Okay. Uh, and actually what inspired me was uh, CAME, Cognitive yes. Acceleration in Maths Education, and that, that, that series of lessons, 30 lessons around key concepts in maths. And I... Um, that's how, you know, that, that inspired me to be interested in teaching and learning and that led into me wanting to become a head of department. So was this um, head of department in a school that you're already at or was it moving to a new school to become head of department? I, I moved schools to become a head of department. Okay, now th this interests me greatly, this, because, so here you are, head of department, a new face in a new school, mm. bringing in these new ideas. Yes. Now I assume that you'll have had staff there who've been there for many years maybe? Yes. How do you go about bringing about what is essentially a complete change in philosophy of the department? Yes, uh, in, well, uh, just to go through my career development yeah. in a way. I, I was head of department at a school. I then moved to be head of department in another school, and then I moved back to the oh, first right, school. Right. So in a way, I've kind of started three times in different schools, uh, two different schools, and I faced this question three times. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you don't go in and say... <laughs> Well, I, it, well, interestingly, I was about to say something there that I, did, I didn't do the first time. Right. Uh, I did go in and say we're teaching came. Okay. Uh, th there's the, there are these 30 lessons uh, uh, through year seven and eight. That's how it's designed. And we're going to do that. That's my introduction to the department. Um, and there wasn't, there wasn't resistance. I mean, the, the nature of mass departments... Uh, unfortunately, is some aren't very stable. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so when you when you do take over as a new head of department, you know the old team from the year before might not be as as solid uh, as you would expect because th there's going to be two or three new faces, perhaps uh, two or three new colleagues, and 
actually, you know, the, the situation might not be as stable as, as, as you would expect. So in some schools, you know, it's quite, that opportunity does exist as a head of department to immediately affect change. The second school I went to, it was more established. Uh, I think I was the only new right. <laughs> character. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean, my demands were much less in a way. Um, I, I set a focus on what we would do, which is, I thought, quite low level. Um, and we had one focus that observations and peer work revolved around. When I went back to the first school, I was set on introducing inquiries in a big way. Um, this is my third year there. I didn't introduce them immediately. I, I did some myself. I you know, generated some interest yeah. amongst colleagues. In the second year, there were two or three that were interested. It's only in the third year that they're you know, formally in the schemes of work. I support colleagues by um, running sessions on inquiries. Uh, so when an inquiry is coming up in the scheme of work, I w we will have a session on it. We will have a training session. We will evaluate how it's gone. Um, so it's, you know, it's a well-supported process, and it's not, you know, you're doing it now, folks. And how do you monitor the success of the changes that you've made? How do you know that all staff are doing them? Um, and how how do you know whether the strategy has has worked? Well, I don't. Uh, uh, well, between you and me <laughs> and, and our listeners, <laughs> who might be some of the people I'm talking about, uh, I I don't know that, that they will have all been done. Uh, and we've got uh, three NQTs, or we started with three NQTs at the beginning of the year, and um, and my pressure on them is not so great in in year three of my return. Uh, in year you know in year four it would be greater. So, you know, I make allowances. This is very, you know, the inquiry method I'm asking them to teach is very, very advanced, Absolutely, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, if, if they skip one or two, I'm not, I'm not looking at the moment. Um, along, you know, I'm obviously looking at the data that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Uh, I'm looking at data, I'm looking at progress. And if I can see that at a satisfactory level, then okay, we'll we're, we're, we're lay off inquiries. But inquiries will come, come in, you know, in year four. For those those teachers so you know as a head of department you want a happy staff you want a motivated staff um, you want an excited staff uh, and, and, and innovative staff and actually you know the, the, the interest I've generated or we've generated around inquiries in our department this year I, I think is, is, is fantastic and and to teachers are saying to me you know I'm reinvigorated I'm I'm you know I've been going along like this and and this is just great you see, th th this this sounds absolutely superb, and this for me is almost in contrast to the role of head of department that I that I've experienced, and because I, and I'm going to ask you in a second how your department's structured, but if I just just say how our, how our current dis yeah. department's structured, so we have a head of department, and we have kind of a, a second in department that's also kind of with key stage three responsibilities. And then we have a variety of TLR holders. So one will be numeracy across the curriculum, one will be intervention, one will be kind of primary transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere in the midst of it is me, who as an advanced skills teacher, mm. my kind of drive is, is teaching and learning. Yes. So I, at the moment, I'm trying to do a similar thing to, to what, what you're doing, where we're rewriting the seven and eight schemes where we're having compulsory what I'm loosely calling rich tasks. So right. they might be inquiries, right. they might be enriched, they might be three-act math stuff, they yes. might be low barrier, high ceiling, yes. and yes. no longer a staff having a choice, because in, in the previous scheme of work that uh, was there when I joined the school, they were kind of almost tagged on at the end as an optional extra. So you've got six lessons to teach fractions, here are your objectives, here are some resources, and then at the end, enrichment, you could do this, you could do this. Whereas I'm right. saying, no, forget that, you are doing this task that, 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 this. that's what Ofsted complained about in, in made to measure uh, their survey of maths departments in May 2012 that you know uh, uh, using and applying wasn't evident or v v you know not evident enough in, in maths classrooms and if it was evident the problem solving came at the end of the process Absolutely. and and actually to, to ch challenge students it should be right up at the beginning and that's another going back to inquiry another reason for, for doing inquiries because it's right there you know you develop the concepts you make the links Right from the beginning. Sorry, I've gone no, off. I've gone no, back to our first discussion. No, <laughs> I keep wanting to go back. No, you're, abso I'm absolutely, <laughs> go on, go no, you're absolutely right. No, yeah. So I, I'm driving yes, that. I'm, yes, I'm driving that yes. as an advanced uh, skills what, what teacher. I would say, what I would say, as a head of department, it depends on the team in front of you and the, t the, the colleagues that you're working with. So when I went into uh, the school I'm currently in first time, I wanted to make a big impact and I wanted to say, 
came, you know, I will support you. This is definitely what we're doing. It was quite an experienced staff, and 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 I felt capable, you know, that they would respond, mm. you know, in, in a professional way and do it, and they did. Uh, this time round, with inquiries, because I think inquiries is one step on from came, if, if not two or three, um, you know, and, and we've got some very inexperienced teachers. You know, I'm not as insistent, perhaps, as I was in in, in 2001 when I started yes. at that 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 in that. Um, department and in the second department I was insistent again perhaps at a lower level so it depends on the makeup of the staff and the colleagues that you're working with I think on, on how insistent you are um, obviously you have a long-term aim your long-term aim is to get enriched right you know as mm. a fundamental part of on problem solving as a fundamental part of teaching and learning in your department but you know you might have a longer time frame with with more more support in place uh, and, and more kind of intermediary goals so, I would say, as, as as you know, that's the way I would play it. So, can I ask what are your what are the other kind of roles that exist within your maths department, and how do they kind of complement what you want want to do as a head of department? Well, we've just changed that, but but this year we've got um, well, we've got a head of year nine and ten, and a head of year seven and eight. Uh, we've got a part time AST, uh, and we've got me and I take charge of year eleven. But it seems to me from what you're saying that you're, are you driving the overall teaching and learning strategy? And if so, where do they kind of come in? Uh, I am, I, in a way, I am driving the teaching and learning of the department. I think that, you see, you see this is really one of the things I want to say, that I think the, the head of department role is being de-skilled at the moment. Right, well, yes. And, de and devalued. Uh, and... and you know, I go round and, and, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, this, this, these comments aren't related to any one school no, or any one individual no, I've met, but absolutely. it's just a trend that I've observed and I'm in contact with heads of department around the country, mm. different regions of the country. And, and it seems to me what's happening is that senior leaders want maths uh, to produce results. They've always wanted that, yeah. but even more so now. Absolutely. Uh, maths is a forum for discussing uh, A stars to C's. Uh, it's a forum for discussing three levels of progress, four levels of progress, and five levels of progress. It's a, it's a forum for discussing what exam board you're going to sit and how many exams they're going to sit. Uh, it's year 11, year 10, when they're going to sit, how many exams they're going to sit on what day, what level, what tiers of exams. They're the kind of discussions senior leaders have with mass departments. And unfortunately, what's happened is that there is a member of the senior leadership team, uh, the raising attainment leader or whatever you want to call that person, who, who basically tells mass what to do. Uh, th there is no space, there's no, well, senior leaders don't perceive maths as a place for innovation, for creativity, for, di for even to have discussions about teaching and learning perhaps, uh, and the head of maths is becoming a functionary. To function, it, it, the function of the head of maths is to transmit the, the, you know, the, the message of senior leaders down to the department. Uh, and the flow at the moment, and even more so now, is going one way. Uh, and the space for cre creation, for development of new ideas, for innovation, for finding what works with your students uh, and what, you know, what may helps them learn best, those kind of discussions are off the table. And I was never a fan of the national numeracy strategy because I'm not a fan of anyone who comes and says that's the way to do it, even inquiry. You know, I'm, I'm wanting the debate. You know, yeah. you I'm going to try and convince you. You come and try and convince me. Unfortunately, the national numeracy strategy said this is it mm. and this is, we're having the three-part lesson. Unfortunately, I see signs of that now with Singapore Mass. That's the way to do it. Actually, let's all get into that. Let's all dive on that. Let's buy some books around it, etc., etc. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the, the way to do it. And I want them to convince me, I suppose. And I want to argue with people. Um, but that, those debates are off the table. Those debates are off the table, unfortunately, in some schools. I'm not talking about all schools necessarily. Um, there's an academy chain that teaches in one way, you know, and I suppose if you want a job in that academy chain, you teach that yep. way. And, and the debate's not, uh, it's not open for debate. So I'm, 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 a, I'm pessimistic about the role of head, of head of maths in particular in the school at the moment. Even though it's a very interesting role, I believe, very creative, could be a very creative and even innovative role. I think at the moment, the trend is to get someone in who's going to say, yes, uh, I will sit students for every exam that comes up in every tier and you know more than one board at a time and so on and have those kind of discussions and this is exactly what made to measure is arguing against because made to measure talks about 
you know, there's a problem in key stage three. All the best teachers are concentrating on yeah. year 10, yeah, year 10, 11, or the, or the most effective teachers, perhaps you yeah. call them the best teachers, the most effective teachers are put a 10 and 11 to get the results, uh, leaving the less effective teachers in key stage three. So where I suppose there could be space for this, this kind of debate that, we, that I'm talking about, you know, it's, it's falling on barren ground, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you've got one, one Department of Education sort of directive is, is, is this is how we're going to measure you. Uh, and that works against the Ofsted reports, which say, well, this is the kind of teaching we want. So, I, I, you know, I think the trend is going too far towards that, that, that. I don't want to call it exam factory. That's a hackneyed cliche. But, you know, it's going too far that way. Let's open up the debate. Let's have heads of department. Let's employ heads of department who've got ideas and, and employ them because they've got ideas. That was a bit of a rant, Craig. No, it's it? a good. I don't know about the question, but that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> no, it was good. It was, it's fascinating, and I think it will be in tune with a lot of our list. What a lot of our listeners think. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll share a bit of my perspective okay. on this. Um, the first thing I should say before I get fired or uh, <laughs> my windows get put in is that my uh, the, I've, I've worked in two schools. Um, right. I've been advanced skills teacher for an, a local authority, so I've, I've visited hundreds, hundreds of schools, but I've, I've worked. Um, spent a lot of time in, in two schools in particular mm. in both cases we've had very we've been very fortunate to have very supportive um senior leadership teams right. and i think what what's helped in my first school the, the senior leadership member who was kind of uh um, line manager for maths was a mathematician so i think that that helped because I, I still am of the view and I, this will be something I, I might ask in a second mm. that maths is almost standalone um I think that a lot of whole school inset training, I often feel, doesn't sit particularly well with with the maths department. But that, that's that's a, that's a separate issue. In my current school, again, the senior leadership team is very very supportive of, mm-hmm. of maths, and maths, maths are very well resourced, and we get priority over a lot of other subjects, mm-hmm. right, rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, however. Having said all that, the reason I, I said in my little intro why you couldn't pay me to be head of maths is that, oh, yes. that I, I've, I've worked for three heads of maths and each of them have said the same thing to me, that their teaching is the thing that suffers and that um, their priority is not their teaching because it's everything else that goes with it. So it's, it's the pressure on the data. It's like you say, it's, it's, it's a numbers game. It's what, what are you project, projecting our A star to C is going to be this year, right? What are we going to do? Let's get some intervention going on. Let's take them out of that class and do some one-on-ones and all this. That, that doesn't interest me. What interests me is this, the overall picture of teaching and learning. Let's bring in these inquiries. Let's bring in these rich tasks. Let's not leave it till year 10 and 11 to start doing the intervention. Let's get them be problem solving from, from year seven onwards. And I, whilst I see that if I became a head of department, I would possibly have a bit more power to do something like that. Because at the moment, I have to negotiate everything with my head of department and mm-hmm. senior leadership. Mm-hmm. I just fear from the experience that I've seen that if I was to become a head of department, or I to have that power, but I wouldn't have the time or the right. energy possibly, right. or, or, and it wouldn't be my priority anymore. And I feel that this is something that a lot of teachers think because they they, they see a natural career path to become head of department. If you're yes. a maths, if you're a maths teacher and want to progress, it's either head of department or it's some pastoral route. Yes. And with ASTs pretty much on the on on the way out. Yes. There isn't another route, and I fear for teachers who think if I go to head of department. I'll be out of the classroom more, and even when I'm in the classroom, my, probably my mind won't 100% be on it because of all the other things that are that are going on and that all my other priorities are. Now, again, I'm possibly painting a bleak picture here, but that is always a concern that, that I've had. And I wonder if yourself, as a very passionate teacher who's very interested in teaching and learning, how do you kind of balance the two? How do you keep your eye on the teaching and learning game whilst also having all these numbers and targets and data in the back of your head? Well... Yeah, the pressure's extreme. I mean, you know, uh, national averages, maths, GCSE results are 5%, A star C, 5% lower than English. And, and oh, it's always around 5 6%. Mm. So, you know, in the vast majority of schools, the pressure's on maths to catch English yeah. uh, uh, than the other way around. And so it's maths that gets the focus and gets the pressure. Um, I, I would say you're absolutely the ideal 
for to, to be ahead of maths. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're in a job interview or anything, but, but I, I would say, you know, the, the passion that you just expressed for teaching and learning is, is, you know, for me, is the fundamental role of, of a head of department. Now, how, you know, what I have to be ensure in my day-to-day operational kind of mode is that I create space for that and I don't get swamped by data by demands for this and that, uh, by intervention, extra classes, by working at half term, by working this coming Saturday and so on and so on, which I'm doing all of those as, as many, yeah, many definitely. other heads of department, um, that, that, that I also create space for myself to do the other things that I'm passionate about. I, you know, I, I suppose I'm an effective teacher, in inverted commas, um, but I, I know that sometimes I stand, you know, in front of classes and I am not giving... You know, a, I'm I'm on stand it's not a standby lesson, but I'm on a I'm or, not oh, autopilot either. But I'm doing oh, I suppose all teachers do this, yeah, of course. I, and I'm doing you know I'm doing a regular lesson. Yes, um, and uh, you know that concerns me sometimes. I don't think that's necessarily me being head of department. It's just me surviving as a teacher, I suppose. Yeah, um, but it's more more prevalent for a head of department. Well, no, I don't agree with you. I I you know if 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 you've got these ideas that you you know you're talking about, and and I know many many other people have as well, obviously. Mm probably many of the people that listen to, to this podcast um, they are exactly the type of people that should be heads of department because they're going to be they're going to be motivated they are going to be you know um, raise uh, levels of excitement in, in classrooms uh, develop innovative approaches uh, which is you know what makes a department an exciting place to work in if the leader is excited and innovative and motivated then you know it tends to to be that their colleagues follow uh, and I don't get motivated I know some people get motivated around data and, and intervention and that's great and they can generate excitement around that my passion is teaching and learning as yours is and I want to generate excitement around that but you still have to do the other I still have to do the other stuff yeah and, and you know I do it I think effectively as well um, well I have to do it effectively otherwise in, in the current climate I wouldn't be head of matter very long um, but I am very wary, or very or take great care to to create that space, um, so that when I walk into a classroom, when I did this year ten yes. inquiry, sorry, uh, the year ten inquiry yeah. uh, on on Tuesday, you know, my whole Monday evening and Tuesday morning was looking forward to that. Right. And I did other things. I did other things, of course. Prepared other lessons. Looked at yeah. data. Answered emails from parents and <laughs> carers and whatever. And did all the all the usual stuff that head of department does. But in the back of my mind, I was really excited about the prospect of this inquiry. And that actually generated motivation and excitement to do the rest of the stuff that I had to do. So it actually supports me doing a more effective job, I suppose, by having this creative kind of excitement to look forward to. And would you say, hand on heart, your priority is still your teaching? Is that your well, top it's not, it's not, Well, it's, it's not only my teaching, it's teaching and learning within the department and, and, and wider, I would say. I feel now that I've been head of department for 12 years and got this inquiry method together uh, and talk about it to PGC students, I, I, I feel I've got a wider responsibility to the mass community, teaching community, to, to popularise this approach, which I believe in, and, and allow people to make up their own minds about it and reject it, fine, uh, or accept it, however, however they, they decide. Um, but I, I now am in a position, after 12 years of being head of department, that I feel responsible for the development of maths in this country, or maths teaching in this country. Um, uh, so I've kind of got to that level, and that's why I won't go into senior leadership. Um, because I will th- then I will lose contact with classrooms and teaching and teaching maths, and and for me, this you know this is where my priorities lie. Um, so I'm very concerned at the moment that the rest of the educational community, especially senior leaders, are downgrading the head of maths role, and they they are not encouraging people like you uh, who see that as a as the priority, and it is the the priority. And, and made to measure makes it clear that it's the priority and it should be the priority in every department and for every head of department, I believe. I hope none of my colleagues take take uh, I'm sure they uh, won't. Yeah, so say anything against that, yeah. I know, I'm sure a, a yeah. tremendous amount of people agree with you. Mm. So say we've got people listening here who are either thinking about becoming head of department in the next few years or perhaps have got a job starting in September where they will be a head of department for the first time. Do you have any, ad- any advice that well, you'd, you'd new, offer them? Yeah, yeah, I've, I, I've uh, done uh, talks to, or run workshops to, only short sessions to, to new heads of department. And I would say uh, my key piece of advice is 
do some research on the theory of team building. Okay. Uh, and understand the kind of phases that teams go through. Think very, very hard about day one, how you present yourself, because that is the first impression often as a department will get, uh, get of you as, as a professional head of department. You know, obviously you might visit the school for the day that you have uh, earlier, but you won't be there as head sure. of department. So day one, the tone you set, the agenda you set is, is absolutely key. And the impression you make on that day is far more important than on day two, and that's far more important than day three and so on. Uh, so sort out day one, uh, make the impact you want to make, be the head of department on that day you want to be, uh, and try and well do some research. Uh, there's there's um, uh, some research around, or there's a theory around team building uh, by Tuckman. 1965, long way back. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have. Uh, let me think. You, you, there are four stages: forming. You form the team. Storming. There's a, a, a phase where you go. Um, the team will storm basically and start arguing with each okay. other, and, and everyone will be trying mm -hmm. to find their ground and you know make their pitch. Uh, norming, when you you kind of come to um, the third phase, when you kind of come to agreement about how you're going to operate after this storming phase, and then the fourth stage is performing. And as a head of department, as a, t a leader of a team, it's important to know where, I believe, it's important to know where you are. So when the storming starts, you're ready for it. When, when people turn, you know, there's going to be a honeymoon period, I suppose you could call it, in the, in the forming stage when people are on their best behaviour. But that's, that's not going to last. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened when the second stage hits and people say, well, I don't like you. I'm not sure about you. Yeah. I don't like this idea. Hold, t hold your guns, basically. Uh, and, and just be aware of the different kind of models of team building that there are. That's the advice I would give. That's, br that's brilliant. And if I can ask you one, one more final thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've made two changes this year in, in our department around departmental meetings that I think have had a massive impact. And I want to get, I want to know your experience of maths department meetings, what you think is most effective, because that's often the only time that the maths department sits together formally mm -hmm as a unit mm -hmm. where kind of things can get discussed. Yep. So the, the first change we've made is that I'm very keen on having teaching and learning form an integral part of maths department meetings. And what we used to do is we used to have all the kind of admin-y stuff like make, remember your reports are due this time, fill out these predicted grades, exam dates, blah, blah. That always used to come at the start of the meeting and then like the last 15, 20 minutes or whatever would be a teaching and learning thing. And it didn't work because the admin would just drag you down. People were drained. And then by the time I, I signed up to try and get a bit of teaching, yeah, yeah, yeah. going, oh, they're like, oh, let's go home. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, this. Yeah. So the first thing we did was we now have departmental meetings that are purely kind of admin, like short ones. And then we have a dedicated, um, every half term, we do a two and a half hour after school teaching twilight, okay. teaching and learning twilight, okay. where we'll, we always run a couple of rich tasks that are coming up in the next uh, next half term, some new rich tasks that we're trialling out. So we run them almost as if we are students in the class, so mm -hmm. I'll lead it, and then people work together in groups, and then we'll assign one group to be a low ability, a middle ability, and a high ability, and they'll try and rewrite the task and restructure the mm -hmm. task for mm -hmm. those groups. Yep. Um, and it's been nice. Like At first, staff were kicking up a bit of a fuss because they're having to stay till kind of half yes. five, six o'clock. Yes. But it's become a really enjoyable kind yes. of teaching and learning thing. Yes. And it's separated the teaching and learning from the mundane admin. So that's okay. the first change we've made that's, right. that's made a big difference. And the second change is a daft one. But we've started in departmental meetings. We always have them in a classroom. Mm. But we've put all the desks together and we sit round yes. in, in a loop, in a table yeah. together, as opposed to kind of rows. And it's made a world of difference. And I don't know whether it's the face-to-face -face interaction or the yes. fact that you can't hide anywhere or kind of be on your phone or, you know, yes. gazing because everyone's in it together. And that's made... And when you said storming, it really kind of brought it to mind. Like, it's caused some arguments in meetings, right. but I'd rather have those arguments yes. there yes. than people just be simmering away. Yeah, they have the, to come out. Of, as, a, as a leader, they have to come exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's worked well. So there are two things that, that I've certainly taken on board from this year. And I wondered, have you any advice for heads of department of, of kind of making the most out of departmental oh. meetings? Or departmental okay. Um, we, we would, all the admin you just described, we would never have any of that in any meeting. Right. That would all be emails or face-to-face -face or it, it would, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider putting any of that on the agenda. Okay. 
That's the first thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, no, no. I hope I'm not upsetting you. No, 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 definitely not, no. Okay, our meetings are an hour long, and they're exactly an hour long. They once s- a week, is that? Uh, well, they're in the ti- their timetable probably once every two or three weeks. Okay. Uh, but we meet as a department once a week. We have voluntary sessions, which are more or less 100% attendance. Okay. Uh, and we would start on the dot, half past three, and we finish on the dot, half past four, what, I- even mid-sentence. Uh, we have a, a rotating chair, so p- uh, colleagues get the opportunity to chair the meetings. We have a timekeeper, so if there are three items, I don't know, 10, 30 and 20 minutes, they run tw- 10, 30 and 20 minutes and they get cut. If, you, if, if anyone wants to say anything else, it has to be done afterwards That's in a, a different way. Uh, so colleagues know that they're walking, you know, if they walk in late, we've started and, and they are going to leave at 4.30 and that's it. That's uh, so there's n- never any extension for any reason. There's never any other business. It's, it's you know, these are the items. To, they are all related to teaching and learning. Um, so, for example, we might have a session on, OK, let's look at inquiry. We've got an inquiry coming up. Ah, interestingly, uh, our uh, AST did, we're having a series at the moment, what is outstanding mass teaching. Okay. So our head of uh, our AST did her presentation last week and I'm going to do one uh, next week. Uh, we, what else have we done that's quite interesting? Okay, um, three colleagues uh, a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, uh, d- discussed how would you teach fractions. Oh, that's nice. Fractions are coming up in year nine, yeah. what's the first 15 yeah. minutes of the lesson? So you had three experienced colleagues say, so well, this is how we do, do it. All completely different. Yeah. Of course, mine was inquiry. Yeah. It's totally inquiry. You surprise me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> My team said, oh, not again, man. <laughs> we know what you're going to do. Uh, so so it's, it, it's all teaching and learning, and it's, it's, you know, it's run. It's, it, I think it's respectful to stop the meeting when you say it's going to stop. Yeah. That, that really annoys yeah. me at meetings that run over, and, and we, that won't happen in, in our, our meetings. So... Yeah, all the admin is, 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 there's nothing like that. That's really interesting, and I mm. hope that's some good food for thought for either current or prospective heads of department. And whilst Andrew has definitely sold me on the inquiry, I'm not so sure about the role oh, of Oh, come on, Craig. <laughs> One day, maybe. <laughs> One day, please. You're just the sort of person we need. Um, do you, we have a lot of, uh, as we've spoken about, NQTs and PGC students yes. listening. Um, or, or, or even teachers who are perhaps looking for kind of a, a fresh approach. And we, mm. we've obviously talked about um, the accenting inquiry model, mm. but do you have any other kind of general advice for, for teachers? What, what kind of helps you as a teacher? What do you say to your NQTs? What, what okay. advice do you give? Well, when, when, when PGC students come in, um, well, and NQTs, I, I, the first thing I say to them is, you are welcome to try out any idea you have or you've seen. You, you know, obviously, if it's an NQT who's staying longer, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd want some justification. Sure. I'd want to see some research, or I'd want to see, yeah. you know, some proof that it works. The idea that they had, but I, I, I say to to, to 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 PGC students especially, look, enter the profession and don't think there's one way. Don't you know? Not even the inquiry method. Try the inquiry method. You know, use it occasionally if you like it. Use it a lot if you like it. Uh, but there are different ways to teach, as you've just said, different ways students learn. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we need to be a, a profession that discusses these different models. Uh, going back to the National Numeracy Strategy, unfortunately, the, the, the kind of hangover of, of that was actually there's one way to do it. There's one, there's one best way. Uh, and there are lots of models of teaching. And, and what we don't have in this country, I, I believe, is, is a debate about what is the best way to teach maths. Uh, we have various kind of activities uh, around problem solving, around um, rich tasks, uh, but is that the best way? I mean, you know, that's the way we're going, Singapore method, is that the best way? Where is the professional discussion? Unfortunately, I don't think the professional bodies, the Association of Teachers of Mathematics and Mathematics Association, Mathematical Association, mm. Uh, they, at the moment, unfortunately, they seem to be on the margins of, of the mainstream yeah, profession, right. and that they could be the forum that, that run those debates amongst teachers. I'm talking about not not among not amongst university professors or yes. or whatever. I'm talking about you know what works in classrooms, and why why aren't we having that discussion? And where are the forums to have that discussion? So, yeah, from my point of view, going back to the original question, I say to I say to new teachers. Be on the lookout. Try new ideas, and I, and I would love you to introduce something new into this department. 
Absolutely. And I chuck in my own kind of little bit of advice there is I used to get all my kind of best ideas from LEA consultants back in the day when I was an NQT. But obviously those days are pretty much over. Mm. But I'd say blogs are the way forward. If you're looking for the latest, most innovative, original ideas, and if you weren't willing to take a risk, there are just some phenomenal blog bloggers out there. And that is, it's like you say, it's not university professors. It is real teachers who are trying things out with kids and who are saying, right, here, yes. this is what I've tried, yes. now you give it a yes. go. Yes, and, and, and find them on Twitter. Absolutely. Get on Twitter. Uh, it's not, you know, don't waste your life. No. <laughs> which is, is, you know, the danger <laughs> once you get on there. Uh, but get on Twitter, make the professional links with the bloggers who are generally, you know, tweeting away as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and find those opportunities. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. Well, final question. And follow me on Twitter as well. <laughs> and Craig, of course. <laughs> we'll include that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and final, final question, um, Andrew, is you, you've talked before about how you, you really enjoy the role of head of department. Mm. But you also talked about almost a frustration that the message coming through from senior leadership team was almost in contrast to some of the things that you perhaps believe. And you. And myself yeah. as well, and, and many people. Mm. So I guess that begs the question of what, why you'd be resistant to move into senior leadership team to, to instigate those changes yourself. Ah, well that, yeah, you see that's, that's the question I ask myself. Uh, but I am a committed classroom teacher, first and foremost. I want to teach children and I want them to learn with me uh, and unfortunately, moving into senior leadership doesn't have to, but it generally goes along with it. With I'm moving away from the classroom, and and that is something I can't do. Uh, so I am passionate about teaching and staying in the classroom, and this is the kind of the highest you can rise uh, without losing touch. Well, not necessarily losing touch, but the f the, the the balance goes completely the other way. I mean, an assistant head teacher might have half a t timetable. So there's still, you know, an amount of teaching, but that assistant head teacher probably fills their main role is the whole school role that they've got. Absolutely. And, and for me, my main role is still teaching. That's a very good answer. Well, it's that time of the show again where we like to tax your brains a little bit with a podcast puzzle. And I'm delighted to say that my guest Andrew has brought one along, so I will hand over to him. Okay, Craig, well, I very much like problems uh, that I can turn into inquiry prompts. Uh, and I saw um, a problem on Twitter, which I then turned into the prompt that I talked about earlier. Okay. And the prompt is, which is a problem in itself, I suppose, the different sum and product of two numbers are the first three terms of a sequence. Uh, and that was uh, a problem or came from a problem I saw on Twitter but strip right back to its kind of essence okay. and, and suitable for a secondary audience. Okay. Uh, this is suitable for a higher level audience. All right, our, as, our, as our listeners are, here yes, we go. <laughs> So pens and pencils are okay. ready, here we go. Here we go. Ah, the, the, the solution is, uh, has been worked out by a, a colleague of mine in another school in my local authority and is on the website, okay. if people get. Okay, here yeah, we go. Yeah, want to cheat, I suppose. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Right, here we go. The sum, difference, product and quotient of two numbers are the first four terms of an arithmetic sequence. What is the value of the fifth term? Right, let's go one more time on yeah, that. Yeah, no reordering. No reordering. No reordering. All right, yeah, let's this have is the that order. Again. The sum, difference, product, and quotient of two numbers are the first four terms of an arithmetic sequence. What is the value of the fifth term? There we go. An answer, if you need it, available on Andrew's website. And we'll put a link to that on the podcast page.